There is a Buddhist proverb that says, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. I think what that quote means is that where unfortunately bad things are going to happen to us and some of us are going to experience some form of chronic pain. In this episode, I have a conversation with Dr. Alan Weiser and we speak about how chronic pain can affect not only what we're suffering, like for example, if we, if we have chronic back pain, how that not only affects us physically, but how that can uh, lead, affect us in other areas of our lives, like our mental health uh, and things of that nature. And so the conversation was very enlightening because it just showed that, you know, if you have pain somewhere, it can really go to other areas of your life if you don't treat it. So myself and Alan, we, we touch on a lot of points about how we can deal with chronic pain, where it comes from. Um, so I really hope you enjoy this episode. Today we have Dr. Alan Weiser. I hope I'm pr- uh, pronouncing that correctly. You got it perfectly. Thank you. Yep. And uh, you are a chronic pain, you're a chronic mastery pain expert. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about what that is and just introduce yourself as well? Sure. Yeah, I'm a clinical psychologist. Uh, I've been at being a psychologist since the uh, late 80s. Before that, I was a criminal trial attorney. And originally in the work that I did, I spent most of my first 15 or 16 years working with a chronically mentally ill. Right. And then around 2002, started specializing with people with chronic pain and chronic medical conditions. So that has been a large area of specialization over the last 20 years. Wow. So you see a lot of different types of chronic pain, a lot of different types of people dealing with chronic pain and a lot of different types of forms, mental, emotional, physical types of chronic pain. Well put. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I've seen over 2000 pain patients in the last 20 years. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the questions, you know, I want to ask you is all around the, you know, some of the things we can learn from obviously dealing with chronic pain, but how we can get past it as well, manage it, um, make progress on, on it, things like that. So the first question I have for you is, um, can you talk about the physical and emotional chronic pain and how they relate and influence each other as well? Yeah, that's a very important question. Uh, Think of it this way, if you have an injury and it persists, and and I usually think more in terms of persistent pain than chronic. Chronic sounds too much like a life sentence. But there are conditions that just persist and aren't necessarily curable in the moment. So then they start having impacts in your life. Uh, What I refer to as collateral damage. And it's not just emotional. For example, you can start suffering sleep disruption, loss of physical conditioning, deactivation, loss of tasks. These are all losses to a person in terms of what's important and actually create stress. And that can then filter back into how much pain you have. Wow. For example, sleep disruption all by itself can re- can increase your pain by 50%. So just on a purely physical level, there's a lot of collateral damages that happen. The longer the problem goes on, uh, the less susceptible it is to treatment. Those problems multiply. Then maybe you lose your job. Maybe you, your marriage unravels. Maybe you start to challenge your own sense of identity. So 
there is major collateral damages in the physical part of the person's life, in the personal life, in every dimension, depending on how long it goes on. And then it also summons up history. So chronic pain happens in the person, not just the body. Yeah. The only way to really appreciate it and deal with it is to look at it holistically and existentially. The medical community, at least in this country, focuses on the medical part. That's okay. But they don't take into account or incorporate in their treatment the rest of it. And all of those collateral damages can add substantially to maintaining suffering, undermining recovery, and increasing pain. There's lots of things you can do to address those collateral damages, often quite a bit more than the physical part. So this approach evolved in that understanding that it's not just the physical problem. Yeah. It's also how has it impacted the person's life? And there can be up to 200 collateral damages by current assessment. And most people are not aware. They don't quite understand what's going on. So the first part of this approach is to help a person unravel a mystery. That's part of the title of the book. What's the mystery here? Most people don't understand everything that's affecting their pain experience and why treatment's not working. And then mastering it. I don't use the word management anymore. Right. And by mastery, I mean that you get to be in charge. The pain doesn't run your life. You run it. Yeah. And and where does the pain come from? For like most of the clients that you've worked with, where does that where does it start? Well, in my case, take your pick. It could be your back. It could be, or any part of your back. could be your neck. could be your shoulders. could be your head. could be your knees, your feet. Uh, I've seen a cross-section of pretty much every type of injury that becomes persistent. Remember, there's a lot of injuries that heal and you're done. But yeah, over the years, I, I've seen a lot and also work with people with MS and Parkinson's and cancer and other issues. So it's not just about physical injury. It's also about disease and, and ongoing problems. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in terms of actually dealing with the pain or mastering it, as you say, where do you start? Like what, where's the best place to, to come at this, this from start like, Oh, you know, if say, for example, you have a chronic uh, back issue that's also causing you to uh, lose sleep. Um, and then obviously, like you said, initially, you know, that cycle, um, because you're losing sleep, you're being more stressed, um, so so forth. But where do you start? Do you start with the, the back pain, the actual physical pain? Or do you? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the starting point with patients is an intake assessment. The intake back, it's almost 70 pages long. So right up front, when I'm first meeting with somebody, I want to see what possible collateral damages have occurred. So I want to help educate the patient, also educate myself. The initial focus is all the time, believe it or not, on making sure that the diagnosis and treatment is completely understood, which frankly, it never is. Yeah. So I'm not just doing counseling. There's a lot of management and assessment going on. So I and the patient are going to look into, okay, what do you know what your diagnosis is? Do you know what that means? Do you know how that manifests structurally? Do you know why that causes pain? And then do you really understand the treatments and what they're supposed to accomplish? In 20 years, George, I have never met a patient who knew the answers to that positively. Yeah. So the first part is really getting them grounded in where are we at physically, where are we at in the physical treatment? I talk to their providers. So I'm the person that integrates the cross sections with their treatment and help them look at it holistically. 
And then once we've defined, okay, so that's what's going on physically. Let's take a look at the rest of your life. And that is covered a lot in the initial assessment to see how it's impacted their life. Are you, is your sleep disrupted? You know, are you on the verge of a divorce? Have you lost a sense of self-worth? We start really looking at what's been indicated in the assessment that's being affected, agreeing that that's something to work on. And the centerpiece really, this is sort of misleading, but anything that happens to you that damages your needs is going to create stress. So the focus is on what's referred to as stress management. Right. It's all about, all right, what do you do with that? Because we all know that there's no one way to react to pain. Some people do quite well with it. I can't imagine, for example, being a soldier and being shot and still fighting. Kind of yeah. hard to imagine, but and people do right. as well, right? Because like yeah. it's one thing to get fit. Like again, just to reiterate, but yeah, one thing to get physically injured, but then the emotional side, like, oh, is it going to happen again? Will the next time be worse? Yeah, yeah. It's it's the emotional, psychological, and existential because there's existential meaning. For example, let's say that you were always an adventurous person and high risk taker, and that kind of defines a lot about who you are, what you're about. The chronic pain undermines you so much so that now your focus is on safety and security. So you have lost a sense of personal continuity, a sense of personal identity. Yeah. We start going after those things. And what evolved over the last 20 years, which is really cool, is uh, the discovery of something most people aren't aware of. We know that we have a physical immune system, right? Yeah. What we don't know is we have an existential immune system, a psychological and an emotional immune system that millions of years of evolution have designed us to be able to deal with any challenge. That's the nature of evolution, right? And this is the, the existential immune system uh, then that, that you're referring to. Yeah, think of it this way. Human beings, because we're designed by evolution, whatever the source of that may be, I don't know, but we all mm -hmm. agree that we evolved. So we're, we're designed to survive to meet any challenge, right? And what powers that ability is that humans by definition have infinite potential. We all know this, right? We appreciate it when people exceed what could be done, when they overcome things, Stephen Hawking, right? So each of us has this power, right? This potential, this unlimited potential. We don't know what our limits are, right? And that potential is then utilized by using the tools that evolution has provided you within the existential immune system. Now, what is that system is the interesting question. If no. you think about it, all human activity and events and whatever are ultimately translated by thoughts and feelings, right? Every experience ultimately is defined by thoughts and feelings. Yeah. Well, then the interesting question is what determines thoughts and feelings? Right. Now, that's, that was, yeah. Well, what do you think? Well, I don't know to the person um but i and and it's also i just feel like the the world you live around you and the narrative that you know like for example i know that if i walk into a room that i know nobody um i can just mirror what everybody else is doing so then i can you know and that and you know that i'll create my my thoughts and feelings based on what everybody else is doing yeah that's true uh and that is important think of it this way what defines thoughts and feelings initially when you encounter an experience is perception, right? right. Yeah. That's how you perceive what's going on. And that can be different from one person to another. But then the really interesting question is what determines perception? Mm. And okay. Yeah. What determines perception is awareness. Right. 
Uh, you think about how you perceive things differently at age five or 10 or 15 or 25, because you know more, you've experienced more, you have a higher level of awareness. All therapies aim to elevate consciousness and awareness, right? That's so, you, right. And it's just something that always comes up. Yes. Yeah. Being yes, aware, I think that right. whether whatever it is that you're trying to heal or improve on, um, like if you're if you're physically uh, doing something to to improve on something, you have to be like very aware and conscious that you're doing it. You have to focus on that. And if you're mentally, emotionally healing, you have to be, you know, yeah, like the antidote awareness. Yeah. Well, think of it this way: if I say to a patient, "You've got." all these collateral damages right and that's impacting your pain and your recovery their awareness changes right right off the bat because people hear that and they get it and they go like you know you're one of the first persons i've ever spoken to who understands they didn't necessarily know those things but they're reassured to find out there's more going on than they thought so that awareness starts shifting their thinking because most pain patients are thinking they're helpless they feel disempowered they don't feel like they have any control over what's really going on. The minute I say, well, if you knew you had a lot more to handle than you're dealing with and you could get on top of that, then you would be more in control. There is a whole sequence of chapters in the book that talk about being more successful as a patient. Okay. Because at least here, doctors don't tell patients what their job is as a chronic pain patient. They don't tell them how to use information. They don't tell them how to ask proper questions. They don't tell them how to do research. I started talking to people about techniques for empowering themselves in a treatment encounter, getting more answers, getting more value out of the treatment. Once again, it changes the awareness. So that's why within three or four months after I started working with patients, they'll typically say, I don't know if I'm having less pain, but I don't feel the same way about it. And the distinction is in the empowerment. You and I both know this. I know a lot of the work that you've done has to do with this, that once people recognize they're not powerless, they have power. They didn't know necessarily they did. They didn't necessarily know how to make use of it. Yeah. Uh, but you start targeting the way people think about pain, the way people experience it emotionally. For example, a typical chronic pain patient who has a flare up, their thoughts will be like, oh, no, not again. Or, oh, my God, what does this mean? Or is this the new normal? Those thoughts will create negative emotions, right? Yeah. But what if their first thought is, okay, I've got it. I know what to do when this happens. I've had, I've had experience. I've got a set of approaches I've used before. I got it. If I need to reach out to a provider, I will. It's kind of the recovery approach. Yeah. You know how in substance abuse recovery, they plan for relapse? You know, chronic pain patients don't know they need to plan for relapse and benefit from their previous experience. But once they find that out, their thought pattern changes, and that changes the impact of the pain. And that usually means less pain during the flare-up. Right. Right. And so, again, about knowing the mysteries in the chronic pain and suffering, um, just quickly, I, I just want to add something. I, I sure. remember when I had um, I so I was diagnosed with um, an underactive thyroid years. Ago, and I remember before that I was feeling a lot of pain and obviously a lot of stress. Right. And I remember like the, just after I found out, like the the, the day that I found out, um, that it, you know, this is what was happening. And then obviously, like, and knowing like what, you know, where we're going from here, where we're taking this and everything that really helped me mentally. Again, j exactly as you said, I don't know if I felt better. 
Um, but I know that like being aware of of the things that I do really made me feel better. And it obviously gave me a sense of calm, like, okay, now I know what's wrong. Now I know what I need to do to fix it. And now I know like the steps that I can take going forward. Um, so that really helped me. And I want to ask you as well, you know, you mentioned about the mysteries. Um, can I ask you what are some of the mysteries in chronic pain and suffering? Well, like I said, the primary mystery is that patients don't understand all the things that are affecting their pain. They yeah. don't necessarily understand how that works physiologically. Uh, and it can be complicated, especially a lot of my patients have more than one problem. And then it's like a system. And how does that work? And how do you manage that when working on your shoulder causes a problem with your back or working on your back causes a problem with your knees? So. The mysteries are in understanding the diagnosis, the treatment, the way you've been impacted emotionally and psychologically and existentially. Each of those is part of that mystery. We both know that you're more likely to solve a problem efficiently and effectively if you understand the problem right down to the core, right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and it can be complicated. If you look at the world situation right now, no matter what your perspective is, if you want to understand why the world's in the shape it's in, then you need to know a lot. You need to know history. You need to know politics, economics, philosophy. You can know more than you think you can. You can know enough to be more empowered in doing something about it. So chronic pain patients are kind of like, they're uninformed, they're naive. Uh, most people, and I work with a large cross-section of patients from guys that do roofing and carpentry to captains of industry and movers and shakers. My practice it's quite a spread on the people I've encountered. And it doesn't matter if you're highly educated or you're smart. This understanding of chronic pain is not out there. It is not understood holistically. It is not understood existentially. And it's certainly not modeled to be treated that way. There are pieces of it. There are variations on it. I'm not trying to suggest that what I do is completely unique and novel, but in many ways it is. And the, 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 the proof of the pudding is in the data. This is 2000 patients. You know, it's anecdotal, but all of these approaches have been tried. And the heart of it in the treatment is thoughts and feelings, right? Are your primary tools in that existential immune system. So as you know, people don't necessarily use thinking properly. For example, judgmental thinking, assumptions, rationalizations, right? Fear. Thoughts, right? Those kinds of thinking are not helpful, right? Yeah. Uh, there's good stuff in thinking. So you want to really look at how you operate as a thinker. So for example, you may be familiar with this. A lot of people during childhood develop negative belief systems like perfectionism, stuff like that. Your thinking can be twisted by that. So part of the analysis is are you being affected by that in the way you think? Are you a person who is caught up in some of these counter evolutionary forms of thinking. And so a lot of the initial work is on let's clean that up. I talk to people about operating systems. I, I don't put a lot of stock at this point in, in mental health diagnoses or labels. They're important, but I look at it as people have operating systems, right? Yeah. And the major piece of that is learning how to keep yourself safe, get your needs met. Well, with chronic pain, just yeah. like COVID, it's so impactful that if you don't evolve your emotional, if you don't evolve that coping system, it may not be up to the task. Mm. So a lot of the work is based on this idea of 
creating U 2.0, which involves a fair amount of self-exploration, self-discovery, and also really trying to work on that thinking mechanism, make sure that it's functioning properly. But more importantly, the most important tools in your kit, believe it or not, are your emotions. Yeah. Managing them and being aware of that if you're reacting uh, emotionally negative, where, like you said um, earlier, it is going to bring you down instead of act, asking yourself, how can I learn? So, yeah, here's the interesting part. You may know this. Most people don't know that emotions actually are not just an experience. They have a functional purpose. Yeah. So if you understand that they are a tool and yeah. they have a functional purpose, for example, these are not fair questions, by the way, George, but <laughs> uh, they really are not. But if I said, okay, so if anxiety has a functional purpose other than making you feel miserable, what is it? Do, are you asking me? Yeah. Uh, well, it, it lets you know that like, um, you know, you want to do, you care about something. You want to do good um, at something. If you're anxious about something or you want to, you know, whatever, if you're, maybe if you have a speaking opportunity um, and you're, and you're anxious about it, you know, let you care about it, lets you know that you need to maybe work at it as well. So you, so you're less um, anxious about it. So it, it keeps you on your game essentially. Yeah, that is a really good answer, but I would suggest a simplification. Okay. All right. We are an organism uh, that is designed to survive. And just like all, all of our machines have a fail safe, right? They let us know when there's a problem. Yeah. You know, my gas gauge tells me when I'm running out of gas. Uh, the computer will tell me if I've got a virus, hopefully. So we have a warning system that tells us when any need is being threatened. Mm-hmm. That warning system, that fire alarm is anxiety. You will never, ever feel any level of anxiety unless needs are being threatened. Yeah, okay, wow. Now that is on the continuum from what you were talking about, but you can see where it gets it down to some fundamental something. Mm. You know, for example, if you, this may not be you personally, but if you want to do well in a performance before people, and if you're feeling anxious because you want to do well and you're not sure if you can, right? Yeah. Ultimately, that might be a threat to your self-esteem. Right. Right. You, know, you think you're going to get fired. Ultimately, that's a threat to your ability to provide. So part of the technique that people work on is taking the event that triggers the feelings and figuring out what needs are being threatened. And then you can start working on those. Then you can tap into your wisdom, your knowledge, your experience. As you know, if you get swept away by anxiety, you've fallen in the raging river. You're yeah. not thinking anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So these techniques are in, are like martial arts, helping people get centered, focused, grounded, and then get into, right? We don't like anxiety. We'd rather move away from things that make us feel fearful, right? Yeah, but and if if it's a fire alarm, it's like saying, you know, that fire alarm's going off in my building. I'm not paying any attention to it, right? Right. And and now and I have another question for you. I have one question I want to ask you. And it's if you do all of this martial arts, you improve your chronic pain, um, you know, to the point where it's just gone or just about gone. Uh, what, like, what happens now? Do you like? Is it is it something you still have to keep managing? Is it something that you can say, you know, I've dealt with it; it's gone. How? What's the relationship like with your chronic pain after you've mastered, you know, the the process to to get past it? 
Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. There's a tremendous variation on how much people reduce their pain. The focus is on increased functioning. You know, if I say to a person, if you had to choose between less pain or higher functioning, what do you think most people say? Less pain, sure. No, higher, higher functioning. Higher functioning, yeah, because great to have less pain, but if you can't be functional, mm. people need to be able to function, all right? So how do people end up? It depends. Look at Stephen Hawking. I don't know Stephen Hawking. I never talked to him, but he found a way to be incredibly effective in what he does even though he was still suffering. And so what happens with my patients is, as I said, it shifts the orientation. And then patients are going, well, yeah, I have pain, but I'm running the show. And there's lots of different ways to empower themselves in dealing with it. Uh, if you know how to more effectively deal with your anxiety and your anger and deal with reducing your stress, stress does affect pain. Just stress reduction all by itself, especially global reduction and overall higher level of stress resistance that's going to affect pain. Yeah. It could be 5%, it could be 95%. Yeah. But more importantly, and I'm sure you're aware of this, when people feel empowered, even if they're challenged, it's like the Ukrainians, I think, are a great example. Mm -hmm. You know, it's David and Goliath, right? I don't know these people, but you have to admit, look at what's going on. They could have just folded their tents and go like, what are we supposed to do with that, right? Mm -hmm. So... It doesn't mean they're not suffering. It doesn't mean people aren't dying. The buildings aren't being destroyed, but they have that spirit. They're fighting back. They're saying we have, we are empowered here. We're going to do something about this. We're not going down without a fight. No. Having a patient move from I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, I am weak to I have power. I have ways to challenge and meet this. I have ways to overcome a lot of it. That transition transforms the person's experience from one of suffering into one of potential thriving. Yeah. And and then from there as well, they can always, you know, if the pain comes back there, I've been here before, I have this experience. And then obviously their, their, their whole mindset shifts to the point where I like, this is something I need to work on now, get past it. And, and just having been there before, it makes that much easier. Yeah. And even with treatment itself, as you and I probably both know, there's many ways to receive treatment, to participate in treatment. For example, if you're going to go through physical therapy, but you're feeling really anxious because you don't know what your pain means. And as you probably know, physical therapy usually is painful, especially in the beginning. Yeah. So you go to physical therapy, but you're going there going like, I don't know what's wrong with me. And maybe they're going to re-injure me and make it worse that is going to undermine that patient's ability to benefit from physical therapy. On the other hand, if they go through the door very clear on this, they really understand what's going on. They're, they're comfortable with asking the PT questions to be reassured. They'll get more benefit out of that treatment. So this approach actually makes it more likely you're going to benefit from treatment. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, that's just exactly what we said. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it makes complete sense. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna, you know, finish asking the questions there. Uh, but before we finish, I just want to say thank you, Alan, um, for your time and obviously all of the stories that you shared and the knowledge you brought forth. Um, it's been really interesting to learn about this. Um, I hope the audience enjoys enjoyed it as well. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, a lot of it's contained in the book, uh, which I put out in October. 
think of it as a textbook for the course. Yeah. Uh, but if they go to the website, they can take a look at that. My goal here, by the way, is not so much to have new patients. I have more than I can handle and have for a long time. This approach works. This approach is powerful. It's different. It doesn't rely on the medications and on the treatments. It relies on the person. It relies on the innate strength and power that human beings have. And it's found, I found a way to operationalize that. So it's not just theoretical. It's a cookbook. And I just want people to be aware there's something out there that they didn't know about that could actually make a big difference. They may not want to engage in something that looks like a long-term project, but trust me, from the beginning, they will start to see a difference. Absolutely. And the link you can find in the description as well. Once again, Alan, thank you very much. Thank you, George. Have a good day. Writer, poet, and artist Khalil Gibran said, Out of suffering have emerged the strongest souls. The most massive characters are seared with scars.